Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. All right, y'all, we've got some heavy shit happening in the world right now. As I'm recording this, Putin has just begun invading Ukraine. And we've talked so much about, you know, power and examining our power and, you know, having a, a right relationship to power. And this is just a disgusting display of how patriarchal power hoarding literally kills people. It's I know I have a lot of people in my life that it's impacting personally and it's clearly affecting, you know, the collective anxiety and my own anxiety has been heightened from that as well. My dear BFF, Livia Budries, uh, just texted me actually this morning and she encouraged me to share with everybody that whoever identifies as a healer or a light worker, we are called to send love to all the hearts that need transformation. You might be thinking like, that's stupid. We're not just doing love and light. What does that do? But truly in all seriousness, our collective energy really does have transformational power. There's not a lot we can do otherwise, right? If you are listening to this in the U.S., Unless we're going to fly over there and help Ukraine ourselves, there's really nothing that we can do. So the more of us who are able to concentrate our energy on this specific crisis, it really, truly will be better for the whole world. So please join me in a moment of silence. And I ask you to gather all your powerful energy and direct it towards Russia and Ukraine. Thank you. And if you can, I really encourage you to add this to your own daily personal meditation time, because again, I do think that our collective energy and our call for transformation through love really, really makes a difference. Now on to today's guest. Shelby Lee has nearly 15 years of clinical practice, a master's degree in somatic psychotherapy, two coaching certificates, and numerous trainings in the somatic treatment of trauma. Between her own journey with complex PTSD and supporting thousands of students and clients, she is ignited by supporting folks across the globe to be able to support themselves and the people they work with to move from simply surviving to truly thriving. A former licensed psychotherapist, now coach and consultant, Shelby teaches trauma awareness to coaches, therapists, healthcare professionals, and organizations worldwide. Please enjoy my conversation with the lovely Shelby Lee. I cannot believe it, but Conversations with a Wounded Healer is turning five years old this month, and we're nearing our 200th episode. If you've been with me for a while, you know this podcast has been an instrumental part of my own healing journey. And now I'd love to hear how it's been a part of yours. For our 200th episode, I'd love to include your voice as well. Go to speak-to.com 
us slash convos with a wounded healer and leave me up to a 60 second voicemail about how this podcast has impacted you. For our 200th episode in November, I'll include your message in our episode. That again is speak-to.us slash convos with a wounded healer. I can't wait to hear from you. Hello, Shelby. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to get to know you. I know. We actually don't know each other at all. And at so all. <laughs> it kind of feels like we're on a blind date. So I'm a little bit nervous. Yes, that happens a lot on here. And usually we fall in love very quickly. So I'm not nervous. Okay, great. <laughs> you can lead the way. I'm always nervous anyway. So. Are you really? Even oh, with yeah. two podcasts? Yeah. No, you know how it is being in the seat of the facilitator. That's very mm-hmm. comfortable. And then, yeah. you know, anytime the spotlight changes, it's a different experience. Oh, there you go. See, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram three. I love the spotlight being a performer. It helps. Yeah. I'm a four. <laughs> I'm a four. So oh, I'm yeah. Really... Oh, yeah. Then no one's going to understand you. So (laughs) nobody will actually see me. They'll just project Uh their their own stuff all over. Yep. Yep. Oh, funny. Well, (laughs) anyway, we're already digging into it, but you want to tell people more about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a trained somatic psychotherapist. I am a coach these days. I call myself a coach and a consultant. My biggest passion in what I do and everything I do is teach trauma-informed care. So whether that's to therapists, to coaches or facilitators, or to these days, medical professionals, Mm. I am just a huge advocate for everybody deserving to feel safe and really deeply cared for and to have trustworthy relationships. Mm. So I support all sorts of coaches in our supervision programs, you know, learning how to really embody being a trustworthy human and somebody who trusts ourselves in these roles mm-hmm. and how to be more fully ourselves. So we don't feel like we need to tiptoe in order to be providing care. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of hats I wear. <laughs> so I bet we'll touch on them. I tend to do some trauma therapy still. I used to be a trauma specialist as a therapist. And these days, as the business grows and grows and grows and grows, I'm more in a teacher role more often. And I've just been starting to bring in nervous system regulation to business Mm -hmm. coaching to people who are Mm -hmm. therapists becoming coaches or coaches blowing up their businesses and recognizing that it's hard to feel successful when we don't feel safe. Right. And so we work with our nervous systems to let them come into visibility in their own time. So I wear a few hats. Yeah. There's so much in there I want to talk about. And I want to put a bookmark on going from therapist to coach, because that's a big trend that's happening right now that I'd love your perspective on. But before we do that, let's get your therapist origin story because we all love Mm. a good origin story. How'd you become a therapist and why? Yeah. I mean, how much time do you have really? Right. (laughs) It started the day Shelby was born. Yes. Or before probably. (laughs) It really did start before, Mm -hmm. you know, generational trauma is a real, is the real deal. And Mm -hmm. uh, to this day, I still feel like I am weeding through some really painful roots of just, ruptures and misattunement and the things that happened before I even came into this world. And 
I experienced an incredible amount of what we would call developmental trauma and had no idea probably until about five years ago. Same. (laughs) Yeah. And I was a trauma therapist Mm. over a decade ago, but I didn't understand the impacts and nuances of developmental trauma until recently. What modality helped you understand that? Somatic Regulation and Resilience with Stephen Mm. Terrell and Kathy Kane. They wrote that Mm. book together called Nurturing Resilience. They both came through somatic experiencing. Mm -hmm. They were trainers in that realm and they realized there's something here that we're missing. Somatic experiencing Mm -hmm. is great and there's still something that isn't getting touched. And I even have goosebumps saying that because... That's how I felt. I was so trained, I, you know, so many trauma trainings, all somatic. And I was doing really good work with my own nervous system, with others, but there was still was something that wasn't getting touched until I started to realize, oh, this is early. This is early, early trauma. <laughs> and we can't heal it with words, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how NARM really got started too, because that's what I was trained in for developmental trauma. And Larry was like a protege of Peter Levine. And then, yeah, I think he said the same thing, right? Something is missing. We need this developmental piece. I wish there were a website where all of the different trauma modalities were listed and like what types of trauma that they worked with, because I want to get trained in every single one of them. I I feel like so many of us want that website so bad included with an ethics board and a whole bunch of things. It's got to happen soon. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to your story. So you found out you had developmental trauma. Yeah. So you know, I spent so many years just severely depressed, very, very, very anxious and using a lot of alcohol and drugs and relationships and you name it to try to cope mm-hmm. with the amount of shame I was carrying, the amount of, I felt insane. Like I didn't yes. know why I felt so bad all the time because I was in a family that, you know, was a product of some major toxic positivity and narcissism. And, you know, I was raised by a sociopath too in there. And wait, did we have the same family? Yeah, I don't know. Are we sisters? <laughs> um, okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, one of those stepdads was, did a real number. Mm. <laughs> I felt crazier and crazier. And the people around me were like, we don't know why you feel yes. so much. What? How could you possibly be hurting? We have this perfect life and these mm. perfect circumstances and it's got to be you. And so I just yeah. drown. I was just drowning mm-hmm. forever, you know, and the longer it went on, the more broken I felt. And Mm -hmm. I was a seeker. Fortunately, I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a four on the Enneagram. So I really needed to know what was missing. And I just didn't stop. You know, Mm. I found Buddhism really, really early in my path. I was 22. And that was the first time the light kind of came on. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm not alone. People suffer. This is a thing. And I started practicing meditation pretty adamantly. However, looking back on it, I was just re-traumatizing myself the way I was meditating. Sorry, will you talk about that traumatizing yourself with meditating? Because that might be important for some listeners to hear. 
Yeah, that's why I do what I do now, because I wasn't receiving meditation instructions in a trauma-informed way. Mm. And nobody knew that I was sitting on a cushion having flashback after flashback Mm. after flashback. And I was reliving the past Mm. over and over and over again. And it was, I was thinking it was healing to do that, to be able to just sit with the discomfort of the fright and the terror. And that if I had enough compassion for it or forgiveness that I would heal somehow. And I ended up just reliving those experiences again and again. And that meant my body was experiencing it over and over. So I lived in this constant state of activation and it brought me some peace in some ways, but there were still those parts of me that were so overwhelmed by what happened that when I'd sit down on the cushion, they were right there. And the way that, you know, my community was, it was just practice more, (laughs) just Mm -hmm, sit in silence more. And the last thing I needed was silence. I lived in a silent family in far away from everyone else in my house, silent in my room. I got quieter and quieter over the years. And so it, it reinforced, I have to do this by myself. And it's such a four thing. (laughs) Oh God. Oh man. Yeah. So there were some things that helped, you know, like in DBT, DBT takes mindfulness tools to help with some of that dysregulation and to really be able to mm-hmm. place my mind where I wanted. Yeah. But at the same time, it was very confusing. I didn't know exactly where my mind was supposed to be because I didn't have any roadmap for peace. My whole system was oriented towards alarm, fear, terror, and fright. And so there's nowhere else to put my mind. <laughs> that was the only place that I knew, which was really unfortunate. I am so appreciating that you're sharing this because one of the pieces of feedback that I get from listeners, especially people who are contemplating becoming therapists or maybe they're in school for therapy, I often hear, I am afraid I'm too crazy to be a therapist. I'm afraid I am not going to be able to get my shit together. And I relate to your story so much. And definitely there have been times in the past 12 years that I've been a therapist that I still relate to that story and that feeling. I was talking with my therapist yesterday about the shame of who I was and the fear of somehow mentally going back there, like being that person again, who was so, who just didn't know any better and just was like, I was just hurting myself over and over and over again. And that's what I hear with your story too. And I'm so glad that we put these things in the light so that other people really know that they're not alone. Yeah, that's why I love your podcast so much. You know, we are human. And Mm -hmm. most of us are pretty crazy as therapists, you know? It's so rare to meet a therapist that hasn't been through so much. Most of us come to therapy trying to figure out why we feel so bad, not necessarily because we want to help others. And we're no more crazy than others, but we're just extra brave because we're willing to show up and look at it and be with it and dig into it. And it takes a lot to be able to show up and meet the things we meet in ourselves and our clients. Yeah. Well, not all therapists show up too. I guess I just, I want to say that because I continue to be surprised. I always just assume that people are like me and you in this like voraciously seeking healing and understanding and truth. And that isn't everybody, even in our field. And so the folks who listen to this podcast and the folks who are inspired by it, I hope like we all create community together 
as folks who really are prioritizing that healing. I am so with you. It's stunning (laughs) to look around in the therapy field and see a lot of the harm that has been caused because people aren't able or willing to really show up and look at the things that they need to look at. And it's part of why I work with coaches so much these days too, because a lot of them have stories that, oh, if I'm not trained as a therapist, I'm not good enough. And I'm like, look, we've all got our stuff. Every industry has got the shadow. Every industry has got the light. And we can't put anyone on a pedestal. We've got to really build the trust. Right. Because there are coaches who have no business coaching and there are therapists who have no business therapizing and then vice versa. There are, you know, coaches who probably should be therapists, but don't have the training. Like there's all sorts. I think I used to be very judgmental of coaching because you didn't have to have the educational background, but now so many therapists are becoming coaches because frankly, we are fucking burnt out. And broke. <laughs> and broke, right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, why did you make the switch? I was working for a worldwide coaching, a sex love relationship coaches certification program. Hmm. And I was supporting them in understanding trauma and helping them learn how to meet trauma as it showed up in their coaching sessions. I was bringing in some covert mindfulness as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was living in Portland and my, I think it was 2015 or 16. That's bad that I don't know the year, but it also makes sense. My dad committed suicide that year wow. and it was a year, you know, <laughs> it really hit me yeah, hard. And he and I weren't close, but you know, my whole life, I had hoped we would be close someday. And Mm. so it just really took it out of me. It it really Mm. was very, very difficult to Mm. keep doing life the way I was doing it. I lived in Portland. I had a private practice downtown. I lived in a little suburb and it was though I was like 50 years old living as a 35 year old back then. And I had a bunch of friends living in Bali, working online who were therapists who had become coaches. And they were like, come, you know, Portland prices are raising. And I was working for this school that was just blowing up. And I had the opportunity to just go online and teach for them if I wanted to. And I just jumped, you know, in those moments of tragedy, there's there are those little windows where it's almost like you can be really reckless if you want, or you can really do whatever you want because you just get all the permission in the world to feel your feelings and go with what you're feeling. Or I did, fortunately. And so I jumped. Yeah. It's almost like, what do I have to lose when something so terrible just happened? I might as well just burn it all to the ground and do something completely different. Exactly. And uh, I was actually originally a coach. So I was trained as an NLP coach in 2005. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I need to become a therapist. I don't know Mm. enough about Mm -hmm. anything. And I was quite young. And so I just started realizing I could bring both of those worlds together. And the way that licensing works in our country, I couldn't move to Bali and stay being a therapist, even online. Mm -hmm. So I called myself a coach and it worked. It was amazing. The shift, you know, like so many clients came in, so many teaching opportunities Mm -hmm. when you really follow what wants to expand. And I still waver you know, I just mm. took a bunch of continuing education credits thinking I might want to get my license back. 
Mm. But I love seeing clients all over the world, which we can't do when we're licensed in a particular in Oregon, anyways. Right. I have students in every continent right now. Mm. Even Antarctica? Is that a whole continent? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It must be. (laughs) I don't know. I think. Okay. No, I should take that. (laughs) Well, we need a history lesson. (laughs) I think. Now I want to Google it. Keep going. I'm going to Google it while you. That's great. I love it. (laughs) On most continents. And I hear different accents every day. And it just lights me up to be able to walk along the side of so many different people from different cultures and different places in the healing of trauma. And so I get to do that being a coach and the way I work doesn't really look that different. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also get to charge what my results are worth instead of what the United States healthcare system thinks my results are worth, which feels better to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this just in for anybody who needs to know, yes, Antarctica is a continent. I Google is Antarctica a continent and literally just the answer yes pops up. So that's good for all of us to know. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Here's the thing that I grapple with in terms of coaching. So, well, one being accessibility, right? Like I too want to be able to charge what I feel I'm worth, but then I'm not accessible to people you know, who want to use their insurance. I absolutely hate our country's insurance industry. It's bullshit. I also hear though from people who live in Canada that even when we have public health, it doesn't necessarily cover therapy. So even if we got like a single payer system, that might not solve it, right? So I really think it's actually like we just need to value health and mental health above all else. And that's never going to happen. So accessibility is part of it. But then there is also, because I teach in a social work program And as a therapist, as we just talked about, there are people who have no business being therapists. And every once in a while, it doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, I get a student in my class that is that person. And I feel very protective of the profession. I feel very protective of the potential clients that could be harmed by this person. And so there are checks and balances with being a therapist, yet still terrible people get through. And so I just worry. And I just, I don't know what the answer is, right? Because I want healers to be able to heal. And I don't want harmers to be able to harm. But there's (sighs) nothing like, this is probably where Buddhism comes in, right? Because we can just (laughs) hold it and be with it and know that it sucks. And we don't have control. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, to be with that feeling in ourselves and to be able to kind of feel some space around it is really important. And the way I work with the accessibility piece, you know, there's no one right way for sure, but I really do still see clients at like the bottom of my sliding scale from mm-hmm. when I was a licensed psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And then I have clients that I see for 10 times that or more, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. doing different things, which works for me because my goal is to be able to create a foundation someday, you know, mm-hmm. where yeah. I can actually make a dent in this shitty system. Yeah. And I can't make a dent if I do a sliding scale on everyone. I'm burnt out and I'm tired mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. broke and it's exhausting and stressful. But if mm-hmm. I can make millions coaching and teaching and also hold some precious spots for folks in marginalized populations and be able to have a big dent in terms of not harming. That's my goal. I really, really want to be able to do that. And I can't do that if I'm not thriving. And I have hit so many walls over the last 15 years, not thriving Mm -hmm. with 
mm-hmm. Lyme's disease and fibromyalgia and mm. all of the things that come with overworking and getting underpaid and all right. of the stuff that comes with it. Right, right. <sighs> when we talk about big systems that we can't change, I get really tired. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on because I'm just going <laughs> to, we're just going to like talk into a chasm and make each other mad about it. Our first cohort of Wounded Healers virtual group is full. If you wanted to join but missed this opportunity, never fear. I'll be hosting the group again this summer and likely next year as well. Wounded Healers virtual group is an eight-week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience, and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. To be notified about the next cohort, go to tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerwaitlist. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerwaitlist. Are you a healer? I love this question so much because I'm a pretty adamant activist that, yes, I'm a healer. I'm a healer of my own experience, my own trauma, my own body, heart, and mind, which enables me to sit alongside others who are doing the same, who are healing. I don't want to presume that I heal others because I believe everyone has their own capacity to heal themselves. They're the experts of their own bodies. And I don't want to be in that power dynamic when I can really know and trust that the people who I'm working with are healers. It's a way better setup for them and me. So it's interesting because in my marketing, I market to healers, you know, therapists, mm-hmm. coaches, and healers mm-hmm. because people know what I mean when I say that. Right. But it feels kind of a little interesting to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up power because that's been something that I feel like I've been working with over the past, like, four or five years, like my relationship to power, the way power has been used against me, the way I have unwittingly used it against other people and then become aware of it and feel like a terrible person, (laughs) right? Like, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with power? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big advocate of what David Emerson teaches about. Do you know David Emerson? Mm -mm. He runs the trauma-informed yoga trainings and he talks about sharing power with our clients, there is an inherent power dynamic. Anytime someone's coming up to us for providing care, they're handing us money, they are wanting help. And so there's that power dynamics already there. And when we know that we can do our best to go, how do I share power? How do we collaborate? And to me, it's just so important to always be checking that, always be getting consultation around that because there's so many ways my insecurities or my ego or you name it, patriarchal culture come in and blindside me how I've been conditioned and programmed and I'm on a power trip I'm uneven, I'm not aware of. And also I have been the recipient of so many power trips from others, from my stepfathers, from lots of family, from quote unquote healers. You know, I've been sexually assaulted by healers who thought that they were my guru or whatever. And it disgusts me. (laughs) It really disgusts me. And so I just want to keep in the practice of checking myself and finding more and more ways to collaborate 
with my clients. Mm -hmm. So that power can be shared because when we've been traumatized, one of the most healing things, I know you know this, is to find empowerment again. And we can't do that if the people who are supporting us are doing secret little power plays out of their insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, accountability. That's what I'm really recognizing. And, you know, in spaces, I'm, I'm just thinking about these healers, these people who've been gurus to you, who were they accountable to? And, you know, of course, they're accountable to the people that follow them, but there's no checks and balances necessarily because how we're conditioned in some of these systems is that these people have all the answers. Even if they say they don't have all the answers, that's the dynamic that's created. And when they are not being honest about how much power they have because of that, (laughs) that's when shit goes haywire. Yeah, and the unfortunate part is that a lot of them don't have any awareness right. around this. It's right. not like it's malicious. It's not right. like it's planned. Yep. They are just not doing the work they need to do to be awake to the abuse and violence that's happening. And I mean, abuse and violence all the way down to the most subtle levels, you know, when they think they know what's best for me instead of letting me listen into my own wisdom, <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. Oh my God. That's been something I've been really tuning into recently about just how readily I continue to give that away rather than trust what my gut tells me. Because my gut tells me every time and then I reason it away and I'm like, no, this person knows more than me because X, Y, Z. Or, you know, I should trust the organization because X, Y, Z. And then in the end, I cause myself a lot of pain because I just didn't listen. It's amazing. How many times do we have to learn that lesson? (laughs) I still learn that lesson at least once a week where I forget (laughs) that I have my Mm -hmm. own autonomous power. And I just, Mm -hmm. my little inner child comes up and I'm like, can you help me? Yeah. Will you take care of me? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that is part of our conditioning, right? In a patriarchal system where we are taught that someone who has power knows better than you. Nope. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like squeezing my hand. Yeah, I can see the tension in your upper body. Right. Yeah. Did you have any religious upbringing? I was raised as a non-denominational Christian Mm -hmm. and it's not as intense as others. You know, it was kind of like we went to church on Sundays and we were all nice to each other that day and said grace at the dinner table. But like, I can't repeat scriptures to you or anything Mm -hmm. like that. But when I realized I was not straight, I was like, I don't really fit here. And that was like mm. 13 years old. Mm. And then I realized how much damage that was causing to so many other of my queer friends and mm-hmm. people I looked up to. And I just walked away. Yeah. Wow. Can I ask about sexuality? Like, do you consider yourself mm-hmm. a lesbian or bisexual or? Yep. I would say bisexual. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's where I kind of fall to. And I never thought about it. Just bringing this up. I'm curious why, because my mom was always like, I I was in theater. So of course I had tons of gay friends. And so she was like, well, hate the sin, love the sinner. But I never applied that to myself somehow. It was just like, well, Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was because I could hide it and you never tell anybody. I don't know. I don't know. I am curious 
for that about myself too. I'm very straight mm-hmm. passing, you know, people yeah. have no clue unless they actually wanted to get to know me yeah. and I could hide really easily. And mm-hmm. I don't know if this might be a total left field tangent, but <laughs> I like somebody it. said something to me yesterday. We were talking in one of our groups about what it's like to come out as a coach, as a bisexual person who's straight passing. And she quoted something about how so many of us who identified as queer younger in life, especially with religion around, were pegged as shy. And Hmm. it was really a product of like actually going more and more inside the more we realized who we were. Hmm. And when she said that, I was just like, I was told I was shy so much. And that just really resonated with me. Wow, that's interesting. Because I am not shy. (laughs) I've never been accused of being shy. But I, my struggle was always, I couldn't internalize my emotions. I was an externalizer for everything. And so that's what I really related to when you were sharing earlier, just this like the, the behaviors, you know, doing all these sort of self-harm behaviors and the emotions went along with that. I just, I could not keep it in, but kept getting punished for being out there, you know, Mm -hmm. until I found my people. Is that the difference between the three and the four you think? Probably I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always wanted to be seen and part of the three is getting that admiration externally. Yeah. That makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Yeah. I always thought I was a two wing, but the more I learn about four, I, I feel like I, I don't know. I've heard at different times in your life, you can swing one way or the other. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. No, I certainly have. I was a five wing. I mean, I think you Mm. can really have both. That's how I was taught years Mm -hmm. and years ago. But I was very much on the five and now very much on the three Mm. leaning. So I think it Mm -hmm. happens when you integrate some trauma in your life. Yeah. When the shadow is a part of you instead of an exiled part. Exactly. Yeah. Just welcoming it all in. Mm. Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? It was interesting hearing, or, you know, I knew you were going to ask me that. I heard it on another one of your podcasts. When I heard you say that, I was like, yes, 100%. Absolutely. That feels very, very true. And Mm -hmm. almost to a point where I was so identified with it that I was like, huh, that's like really become my identity. Yeah. I wonder if that's a good thing or not, but it was just like, yep, that's me. Well, doesn't have to be good or bad. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I think, I mean, I guess I'm hopeful that people like us who identify with the wounded healer and are also actively seeking to heal the wounds that's that's the ticket, right? Because we can certainly be wallowing in our wounds and be this like victim martyr or I don't know. I, I did see a thing about coaches on Instagram. It was like, you know, if you have healed something just recently, like that does not make you a healer. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't just jump in. Like I was at a podcast conference a couple weeks ago and somebody was like, yeah, I got sober in February and now I'm a sober coach. And I'm like, that's dangerous. You know nothing. I mean, this poor sweet girl, I'm sure she doesn't actually know a lot, but like, that's so dangerous when you really haven't really truly worked on it yet. And in nine months, you haven't figured out. (laughs) I was just silently screaming into the air over here. (laughs) 
it's it's honestly why I do what I do because I see so many people so excited about, Mm -hmm. I just healed this thing. I want to help someone else feel as good as I do. Right. And they're so fresh and so new and have not been trained. And to me, being trained is the hours, (laughs) the hours of seeing clients after the training. I don't know about you, but the whatever, 3,600 hours we had to have to get licensed, that was where I learned. That was where I learned everything I knew. And so I see people who can do it. They just put a coaching thing on their door or their website and that's it. And so I was like, I have to help (laughs) instead of hate them, you know, instead of just be mad that this is happening, I have to help because they're going to do it anyways. And so I have a supervision program for coaches and therapists. I like that. And they come every single week and it looks very much like the therapy supervision I received. It's deeply loving, Mm -hmm. deeply somatic, very connected. And 99% of the time we're working with counter-transference. Yep. And that's their training. That's how they're learning. And I feel good. I feel an integrity knowing that they are the kinds of people that care enough about not harming, that they're willing to be vulnerable in these intimate groups. They're willing to lean into each other. They're willing to grow and learn instead of just be out there fresh out of treatment and trying to help people because that can be really harmful. So Mm -hmm. this is my activism. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm thinking of, you know, the person who might be listening and we talked earlier about like, we're not healed. We are still fucked up. Everybody's fucked up, right? Join in the party. But how, and I don't have an answer to this. I kind of wanted to work it out together with you. How does one know that they are ready to be a helper? Hmm. Well, you said something a few minutes ago about people just being healed at the podcast conference, you know, Mm -hmm. and then starting their healing business. And something that I really try to remember for myself and support others to remember is say you're writing a post about healing to your audience or whatever. Has it been integrated first in you? (laughs) You know, can you breathe fully as you're talking about this experience? Can you feel your feet on the ground, your butt in the chair? Can you feel access to your own, you know, heart and presence instead of a lot of posts that I've written and never published, which I'm like gripped while I'm writing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I like to look for the cues in the body. Am I centered? Am I here? Do I have all parts of me online? Not just the part that was horrified going through that experience. So that's the first thing I think of. What about you? Well, the accountability piece was coming up for me. And I was just thinking about the mentors that I've had in my work. And there are times when I don't want to tell them something because I think they're going to tell me no. So that's a good indicator that if I'm willing to tell somebody the thing that I think I'm not supposed to do, then I have an awareness (laughs) of what might like boundary-wise be okay and not be okay. Absolutely. That's such a good self-check too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like every time I tell my WA Workaholics Anonymous sponsor something, I'm like, I don't want to tell you this because you're going to make me do something about it. But I have to because <laughs> this is the work we're doing, right? Yeah, we have to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's a personally a non-negotiable. 
I've been in this business for 15 more or more years now. I get consultation every other week. Mm-hmm. And there were so many years in there where I just thought I knew it all. Mm-hmm. I didn't want feedback from anyone. Mm-hmm. I was the smartest kid in class, whatever. And the more I'm in this <laughs> industry, the more consultation I want. The more I'm like, I couldn't possibly have this. The stuff that comes at me <laughs> and happens in sessions, I could have never been trained how to be with this. I need consultation. The human psyche is wild. So people that are willing to really lean in and be transparent about what happens in themselves, the insecurities that come up or whatever, Mm -hmm. and what happens with the clients. I think that's an indicator that we're ready to be mature enough to step into the work. Yeah. Yeah. Willingness and openness and humility. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, I'm a tangent lady. (laughs) I see so many people, they're like, well, I can't afford consultation because I'm in my business mastermind and I'm building my business. And to me, I'm going, if you built your skills and trusted yourself wholeheartedly, you wouldn't need to pay that 10 grand on the mastermind because the integrity just shines through the alignment shines through. And I feel so sad seeing so many people just pay so much money to build their businesses, but their businesses don't get built because they don't have a foundation, the foundation. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. it's just so key Mm -hmm. to having it be easy to build a business. Exactly. I'm guessing that you are similar to me in the business that I built all of it just kind of happened. Like I didn't, I didn't set out to have a group practice. It just kind of naturally happened. And and now I'm getting the business consultation and realizing, because it's so easy to start a business, it's really hard to sustain it. And it's really hard to like, keep it at a level where I can make it a really good workplace for employees too, you know? And so now is the place where I'm like, okay, Everything that I naturally knew how to do, I have exhausted that. And now I need help for the rest of it to make sure that it can flourish. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not alone. (laughs) That's where I'm at. I'm having a really hard time being a team leader with everyone who's Mm. on my team. And my whole business grew really slowly by Mm -hmm. itself, like in the perfect way for my Mm. nervous system. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now I'm at this place where it's like, no, I can't actually work as much as is being asked of me, especially like the kind of therapy, coaching, nervous system work. And I can't do it without people working for me. (laughs) And I have had a team for a long time and the team is getting bigger and bigger. And now I'm learning like I'm a shitty team leaner. (laughs) I have intense amounts of ADHD and I I want all the projects done right now. And I don't therapize the people I work with and they get their feelings heard. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, It can be such a shit show. It can be really beautiful. But I'm like, now, now is where I need to up-level my training in this piece. Mm -hmm. Wow. Same, same. I think we were sisters probably. (laughs) We've clearly grown up together and we didn't even know it. That's very possible. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Near Cincinnati. Well, I grew up in Oregon, so. So probably not, but. Who knows? I'm pretty sure my dad had some children elsewhere. One day, oh. 23andMe will reveal a surprise. I <laughs> imagine. 
Oh boy. Anyway, I digress. So we're coming to the end of the hour and I want to make sure that you can talk about how people can find you and what sorts of groups. I know you're doing different things at different times. So just tell us everything. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, let's see. I have three main programs. One is called Creating Safer Space. It's one of those easy to access programs for anybody who's facilitating anything who wants to be trauma-informed now, where they're just bite-sized pieces, discussions, things to think about, ways to be, practices to really help regulate our nervous systems as care providers, an awesome community of people around the world who are sharing their challenges, they've got their questions. It's a self-paced course usually, but we're actually shifting it. So we're going to be doing intimate six weeks Mm. twice a year so that I'm just really there Mm -hmm. as people are learning this. That'll open again in April. We have Embodied Coaching Experience, which is a 10-month program where people come in and receive supervision. There's 15 people in each group. There's a couple of different groups. And about 10 people show up each time. So it feels really intimate. And it's exactly what we've been talking about today. We share about our clients confidentially. We share about the stuff that comes up as we're learning and practicing with our clients. Mm -hmm. It's always a practice forever. Also, a lot of business stuff gets shared and explored there too, because it's really not separate. So few of us actually got that training. (laughs) So that's a really sweet program. And it's also about learning trauma-informed care and how to be embodied in our wisdom, in our practice. And then I have my newest program that just came out is Creating Safer Healthcare, which is for medical providers. And I'm really hoping to find a way to get it out into the world. So far, I don't have any people I'm connected to in that industry. But some doctors took my Creating Safer Space course and they were like, you need to create this for doctors. So Mm -hmm. that one's out there. And then there are, you know, individual ways to work with me in terms of business coaching, consults. I do a lot of trainings, you know, for various clinics and wellness providers and various coaching programs around the world. So you can just reach out to me and see if it's a good fit. And all of the information is on my website which is shelby-leigh.com. Awesome. Any social media you want to drop? I've got all of them. All of them. (laughs) You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, fierceheart.shelbylee, Facebook. And then I have two podcasts. One has just completed. That one was called Revolutionary Love and Resilience. A lot of stories between my colleague, Myra Holtzman, and myself about working with clients And then my other most recent podcast is called Relationship as Medicine. So Mm. it's all about how as care providers, we can know that the relationship is one of the most healing parts of healing trauma, whether we're specifically trauma care providers or Mm -hmm. just leading a breathwork workshop. Mm -hmm. You know, the relationship creates a lot of safety. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. I'm so glad we got to meet. Me too. You'll have to come on my podcast sometime. Yay! (laughs) Absolutely. And I'll one day again come to Portland and hang out. Great. I'm in Bend, but it's um, 
Is that far? <laughs> I don't know Oregon very well. <laughs> it's three and a half hours from oh. Portland, okay, but you'll so- want to come here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will put that on the docket. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for all the work you do. It's yeah. I can just like feel the embodiment and the what's the word like the authenticity and the depth that you're bringing to what you do. And I just, I appreciate healers like you. Hmm. You too. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. And it's so rare that I'll listen to someone's podcast and in the first five minutes, I'm like, who is this? (laughs) You know, you feel so fierce, grounded and soft all at the same time. Those are obviously my projections, but I'll take that resonates. (laughs) It does. I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much to Shelby for being our guest today. To learn more about Shelby, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.